Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning and welcome to Portico. Happy long weekend, everybody. Hey, uh, we're happy. I, my name is Rick and I'm our campus pastor out in Milton. And while we're having a wonderful service out there in Milton every long weekend, we have a pancake breakfast, we have service around tables. It is an unbelievable experience. I have chosen to be here with you this morning in Mississauga because Pastor Doug and Amitab and Joe... We think they've all gone camping. It's a long weekend. We think they're somewhere up north just enjoying the rain and the cold weather, and we can't find them. So uh, some of your pastors, though, they still care about you. So we are still here making sure <laughs> at service happening. When you, when you see them, you ask them how their camping trip was. Okay. We are tracking along in our Moses Unscripted series. We do so on all of our campuses every week. And uh, we're going to our, our third uh, episode of season two, and we're looking at what happens when we're ambushed, what happens when we're attacked. And if you notice the theme through our worship, we were talking about how God cannot be shaken, and even though there's wind and wave crashing ar- around us, it is still well with our soul. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, how many, how many parents are in the room? You are a parent of some sort. Hands up. Yeah. Parenting has been one of the truly most wonderful, fulfilling experiences of my life. And we only have one, and I would never do it again. But really, (laughs) wonderful experience. Now, we like our lives, our health, our sanity way too much to ever do that to ourselves again. But raising kids is true, can really be a life-giving experience. And one of the gifts that parenting has given me is that it's given me a fresh set of eyes to look around the world and to see maybe some of the hypocrisies that, as an adult, I've become comfortable with as I'm trying to pass these on to my daughter. She begins to question them because she sees the world with this fresh set of eyes that I, that I don't see. For instance, how long are you supposed to go screen-free before you hit the pillow at night? Does anybody know? Two hours, that's right. And we tell our kids, turn that phone off, turn the TV off two hours before you go to bed. How many of you made it two hours without a screen before you hit the pillow last night? Anybody? Anybody? We had one in the first service. I'm not going to... Nobody! All right, good for us. Yeah, there were fewer people in the first service, and now we are here. Nobody made it two hours before. Some of you didn't make it two minutes before going to bed without a screen in front of your face. But we tell our kids, hey, no screens before two hours, because they would just ruin your sleep and ruin your life. What about when we say, now, moderation is very important in everything that we do. You cannot ever go back for a second dessert. Doesn't matter if you're at the Mandarin and the buffet, no second dessert, we'll tell our kids, right? Anybody live that way? (laughs) Never a second dessert? I don't think so. And what about we'll say, don't speak that way about your mother. Your mother-in-law, you can say whatever you would like, but you're... (laughs) We're trying to teach our kids all these principles, and we're horrified when they don't live out the things that we're saying, but it could be that we have difficulty living those things out perfectly. In fact, maybe sometimes we don't live them out that way at all. And if you're sitting with your parents' kids this morning, just a sharp elbow right to the ribs right now is the perfect time for that. 
And when we're trying to teach our kids faith, it's no different. It's extremely difficult. In fact, it might be even harder. My daughter, back in January, she was, she was sitting, at a, sitting at a friend's house, and her hand went into this, this muscle cramp, this muscle spasm. And every day since the first week of January, she has experienced cramping and spasms in her hand that at some times can just be going and last a half an hour. Other times it lasts 10 hours and is extremely painful. She's not able to write. She's not able to use that hand at all. She's got to go on painkillers and muscle relaxants every day since January the 5th or 6th or something like that. And we, we have been to see doctors. We have been to see natural pass. We're rubbing essential oils on it. She's had uh, ultrasounds. I didn't even know this thing existed. It's called an EEG. It's a nerve conduction test. We have looked at absolutely everything that we can do to help her get over this, and nobody seems to have any good answers for us. And every night as we're laying down, she's getting ready for bed. We'll stop, and we'll pray, and we just say, Jesus, we know you created hope, and we know you know what's going on inside her body. And we know that you're our healer. So in Jesus' name, we ask that you would heal her and give her the peace that she needs. And a couple of weeks ago, after we had finished praying, she asked me, Dad, how can we pray that every night and Jesus doesn't do anything? Now that's a deep question from an 11-year-old at 9.30 at night that you don't really want to get into. We're doing all these things and he really doesn't seem to care. And this morning, we're going to get into a study about what happens when we face trials, when we face difficult situations in life, how does God want us to respond? There's, there's a misguided theology that says, if you do all the right things, if you do your best to serve God, then life will go well for you. In fact, the opposite is often true. We've just been tracking this story of the Israelites, and every time they seem to do the right thing, they're obedient to God, he leads them into difficult situations. Remember, we looked at this a few weeks ago, where the Israelites, they were following God's spirit. Remember, there was the cloud during the day and the fire at night, and he leads them through the mountains right up to the Red Sea, and now they're surrounded by mountains on three sides, and the Egyptian army attacking them, and then the Red Sea here, following God's spirit, led them right into a place where they could have lost their lives. If we look at the life of Jesus... Following God's spirit actually cost him his life. So we can't build a biblical case that says if we do the right things, God will make sure life goes well for us. And being born in Canada, it predisposes me to expecting that life should go well for me. And if you weren't born in Canada, the longer that you live here, the more you convince yourself that things like freedom, that things like comfort, Things like free Wi-Fi at, a, at the coffee shop. We think, we think we deserve these things, right? When's the last time you were in a coffee shop and they didn't have Wi-Fi? You're like, I'm not coming back to this place. I, there's all kinds of places I can go. I don't deserve this kind of shabby treatment. And we, we mix our experience, our life experience, with our theology, and it's a dangerous thing. Because then comfort and good times become synonymous with obedience, And it means that every time I'm sick and every time I I have a difficult experience, I lose my job, I'm I'm in conflict at work, every time I'm in a fight with anybody, if we're to believe that, then we're to believe that we've angered God every time we experience that. Or it means that hard times are not always directly related to God's work 
in our lives. And that's what we're going to study this morning. As, as we've been following Israel's journey, God called Moses to lead the people. They obeyed. He led them into that trap. And then last week we looked at how even after he brought them through the Red Sea, they got to the place and they were thirsty and the only water they had to drink was bitter water. And they, they, were, they were thinking, how come I'm leading, I'm, I'm serving God, I'm following him and things aren't going well for me? Well, we're going to go a little bit deeper into that. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. And if you don't have your Bible, just uh, we use our, the U version, which is connected to our Portico app, and all of our scriptures and notes are in there. And we're going to be moving around a few verses in Exodus 17, so you're going to want to keep that open. And they get to a place where they make camp, and it's called Rephidim. And Rephidim means place of rest. Now, it's the long weekend. In your minds, I want you to go to your place of rest. Where, where is that? Is it... Is it right beside like a nice beautiful pool that's the place of rest for you maybe it's at a cottage maybe you are at the cottage and you're watching us online and you're you're in your place of rest enjoy some rest for us it's 11 degrees and raining here we're not all we're not all resting maybe it's maybe it's your couch i I want you to go to that nice wonderful place where ah, life just seems to fade away when you get to that place now what inevitably happens five minutes after you have chosen to rest Life attacks you, doesn't it, right? The dog's barking, the kids are coming needing something, the neighbor who needs help, and all these thoughts go through your mind of all the jobs you have to be doing. It's just inevitable. The minute we try and calm and have peace, life just attacks us. And this morning, when the Israelites got to their place of rest in Rephidim in Exodus 17, life didn't attack. There was a whole nation that was attacking them. So let's go to Exodus 17, verse 8, and here's what it says. The Amalekites, the people there that were, were over in on the other side, uh, other, other side of the Red Sea. And the Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites in their place of rest. And what do we do when we obey God? We have followed him. He's brought us to this place where we even think we're supposed to be resting. What do we do when we're doing all that? And then life attacks us. And something big catastrophe goes on. It's sickness, it's job, it's relationship. What do we do when we're doing all the right things and God doesn't seem to be doing his part? Because you're here this morning, you're faithful to church, you're great employees, you're wonderful community members, you're good spouses, you're good parents, you're good grandparents. But at the same time, your job situation's in a mess, your health situation is less than what it should be, or your family isn't playing out the way that you thought it would. There's only a few conclusions that you can come to. If you're being faithful and these situations are present in your life, There's only a few conclusions. One is that God let us down. God failed. Because if he's all-powerful and he can do whatever he wants and you've been faithful, then God let you down. I would agree. (laughs) Two, God is attacking you. God is bringing some some force in on your life saying, you know what, I I, I need to refine you. I need to do something to you. I'm attacking you. Or three, God's allowing a situation in your life and you need to figure out a way to respond with both things being true, faithfulness and difficulty. And I'll be filling in for Pastor Joe on Tuesday night. Apparently his camping trip is a little bit longer. It's going to extend for a couple of weeks, so he won't won't be here Tuesday. And I'm not going to teach you about Jewish history because that would be a very short Bible study of giving my knowledge of Jewish history. I'm going to look at a little bit of what happens into our psychology and how we start to experience 
difficult times, when we're doing the right thing, what happens in our brain when we get all these messages of saying, well, am I questioning God? Should I have made a different choice? We're going to look in all the negative thought patterns and the roads we go down to, and then we're going to tie that into Scripture and see what the Word of God has to say about our negative thought patterns. So we'd love to see you Tuesday night. But this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to learn from Moses and the Israelites. We're going to see what their response was to a difficult situation like this. If we go to the book of John, chapter 16 and 33, Jesus said this, and now we read this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace, because in this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He wanted us to know that we should definitely expect trouble, so then we shouldn't expect that God gave us a pathway of how to move forward. And Moses' four responses, or the the response of Moses and the Israelites, these are going to be four concurrent things that we need to do, meaning that they don't happen independently of each other. These are things that need to be happening simultaneously, concurrently with each other. So if you're taking notes, pull out a pen or a pencil, or get ready to do it on your tablet or your smartphone, the first thing you need to do is you need to deploy your available resources. Do you believe that God can do miracles? Hands up. Who believes that God can do miracles? We'll do a quick survey in the room. How dependent is God on you to make the miracle happen? Now we're not as sure. Yeah, God can do miracles. Oh, I don't know how dependent I am. The right answer, what we would like to say, is that God is not dependent on us to do miracles. He is all-powerful. He will do what he wants to do. Now I want you to go back into the story. God was going to move part the waters of the Red Sea, right? He, He needed, these are his people. He's bringing them somewhere, right? Why did Moses have to do this? What what was so powerful about taking a stick and doing this over the water? Why did God wait for Moses' act of obedience before he did the miracle? Think about Jesus. He was going to feed 5,000 people one day, right? And he waited until there was one little guy who said, I've got some food, it's not enough, but can you do something with that? We heard the word faith. What about if you go back into the Old Testament, there was a man named Naaman who had, who had leprosy, and, and he was going to be healed, but if you study his story in 1 Kings, he had to bathe in the Jordan River seven times before God healed him. If the miracle was going to happen, why did he wait on a human response? <laughs> can, I, can I put it out that diligence, preparedness, hard work, your response... These are not adversaries to faith. Doing what we're able to do does not conflict with our faith. There's a tendency to believe that the less we do on our own makes it more spiritual. If, if we would just sit, if God's going to do something, I'm going to stand here with my eyes closed and he's going to do it and that makes me more spiritual than the person that responds with an action. And it's like, have you ever looked at the missions trip applications and you think, I really want to go on missions, I want to experience a different part of the world, I want to serve God somewhere else, but you look at that price and you go, I can't afford that. Lord, you're going to provide me with the resources. I believe you've called me to go. I believe you're going to give me the resources. So now I will go to my bank account every day and I'm going to pray and I'm going to see my bank account grow and grow and grow. And when the $3,000 is there, I'm going to India with Pastor Josh. And every day you go to the bank account and it is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And you're thinking, Lord, you are not doing your job. (laughs) And then you go and you 
trade in your iPhone and you upgrade your iPhone, and then you stop every day for a latte on the way into work, and you go, Lord, you are not doing your part in this miracle of getting me to missions. There are situations where God has already resourced us, resourced us and empowered us to respond in the way that he wants us to, to work it out, and he is just waiting for us to respond in the way that he's already called and gifted us. He's waiting for an act of faith. He's waiting for our obedience. God never needs us, but he chooses to let us respond in that act, act of faith. He doesn't need us. He doesn't love us anymore because of how we respond. He loves us because of who we are. But he definitely responds differently depending on if we're going to act in faith. The Amalekites were attacking. I want you to flip ahead to verse 14 in this, in this chapter. God makes a very clear declaration in the last half of chapter, of verse 14. Um, he says, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And if God was already planning victory, it should not matter anything of what they did. But look at Moses' response in verse 9, the first half of verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Joshua, who was a trained soldier, he was the leader of their, of their army, choose some men and go out and fight. Do what you can do against the Amalekites. God was going to do it, but you go and do what you can do. They readied themselves to make it happen. God has already gifted and equipped us to fight some of the battles that we're facing today. And when we stand and wait for him to do it, we are completely ignoring what he's already called us and asked us to do. And yet, at the same time, remember these are concurrent strategies, if you're filling in blanks, number two is you need to make prayer your highest priority. At the same time that you're deploying your resources, Make prayer and dependence on God your highest priority. It is not contradictory to say that as we step into the situation and react, we, pay, we pray every step of the way. When you are sick, what is more spiritual? It is, is it more spiritual to say, I'm sick and I know that my body needs rest and I know that there are doctors who have recommended to take this medication and to take some rest and downtime? Is that a more spiritual act or is it a more spiritual act to just keep going and believe that God is going to heal you? Neither is more spiritual. They are not contradictory. God gave us a brain and abilities and knowledge so that we can act and we can be praying the entire way that we do it. I want you to see the last half of verse 9. The, after the words that he spoke, prepare yourself because you're going to fight, Joshua, the next phrase out of his mouth is tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So as we're fighting, I'm responding in prayer at the exact same time. Both things can be true. We are not just physical people. We are not just spiritual beings. We are physical and spiritual, and so they need to be united. And when we face a challenging situation, we can't do it all on our own, but we need to do something on our own. And we can't just do nothing and then just wait for God to respond. He looks for us to have a response of faith an act of faith, and then he responds. We have our students with us in the room this morning. As you're applying to go to high school, and you're saying, which high school am I going to go? If you're looking what you're going to do post-secondary, what's more important? Your marks? Your application process? Or is where God wants you to go more important? Which one's more important? They're both an extremely important response. We need to do absolutely everything we can and at every step of the way be completely reliant on God. These are not in conflict with one another. These are in complete harmony with one another. And most of us, we have a failing. We respond to one 
or the other better. We say, no, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to do it in my own power. I'm, I'm just waiting for God to do it, and I'm not doing anything. No, what we see in this response is a beautiful blend of doing what God has gifted us to do, yet at the same time recognizing it's his power that's going to do it. And if we look at Moses' response, we've been journeying through, Moses lives 120 years, and so many times we see God directly speaking to him and and directly stepping into his situation and making a way where, where he looks like the whole world is going to end. He speaks to him in the burning bush. He parts the Red Sea. He does those 10 miracles against who were directly against the 10 gods of the Egyptian gods. He does all these things. Yet at the same time, each of these there was a precursor of a human being doing something what they knew how to do best. The only reason why Moses was saved at all was because his mom and his sister put him in the reeds and said, I'm going to protect this baby. And then he was brought into the Egyptian home. And then he runs out into the wilderness after, he's, after he kills the Egyptian um, and, and he, who, who was attacking the Jew. And then he's brought into that home where he was protected and God spoke to him in the burning bush. Every time... Both things are happening. God is doing something miraculously, and they're doing what they can at their best. In your notes, you've got Luke 5 and 16. Even our Lord, who did some of the most practical, caring, tangible things, he found time to get away from the crowds and pray. Our response needs to be both at the same time. Or moving on to our third one, I want to share with you a study I was reading in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. Doesn't, sound, doesn't that sound like a wonderful book or a wonderful thing to read? Anyone? No? No? Yeah, no. A few? Good. Yeah. It's not interesting. No. There's, there's this one study that I was reading, and they, they took a group of people, and they said, we're going to ask you a set of 50 questions, and we want you to respond with uh, one to six. And when you hear the statement, if it's completely false, then come over here and give it, and give it a one. And if the statement is completely true, then come over here and answer it as a six. And we're going to ask you 50 questions. And, and some of the questions were like just ridiculously false. Like the Raptors are one player away from winning an NBA championship. We know that clearly that is like, that's like a negative one. They got swept. There's no way they can beat LeBron. We know that. There was, that one actually wasn't in the study, but that, that's, that, that's an example. There was one that was in the study that said this, that a plaid skirt that is worn by men in Scotland is called a sari. And we have a picture of Pastor Doug and his sorry, yes. <laughs> no, they, they answered, they, they all answered it as a one. Like, it's not a sorry, it's a kilt. That's a clearly misleading statement. So then they answered the 50 questions and everybody took a coffee break and then they came back and they said, we're going to ask you 50 more questions. And this time they mixed the order, they changed some of the questions, but this kilt one was in there again. And then they took a break, and they repeated this process six times. It took a couple of hours, and they're answering 60 questions. Now, what they found was for this kilt question, this was their focus question, something that's clearly just wrong information. There's no opinion that that is just wrong. They answered it at a one or a two in the first survey. Do you know what had happened by the sixth survey? It was being answered not just two, but three and four, and some even answered five. The simple fact that they had read that on a piece of paper six times started to change the way they believe. 
Marketers know this with us all the time. They say, if, if you can interact with our product seven times, it doesn't matter if you like the product, it doesn't matter if you believe what we're saying in our advertisement, you'll start to be more comfortable with our product if you interact with it seven times. Do you know that it is so important, the messages that we surround ourselves with? And if we get to the third one here, it's surround yourself with the right people. When you're in the midst of conflict, we need to have the right messages around us. We need to have the right people around us because we can start to believe some pretty incorrect things about God and the world and our experience just by hearing the message over and over and over again. And after Moses gets the army going out, Joshua's down there fighting the Amalekites. He did what he could do. He's then standing up on the mountain and he, he's, he's holding his staff up like he said he was supposed to do. So he's, he's done the right thing. And in verse 11 here we say, as long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. Okay, everybody in the room, hands up. You don't have to write any notes for a minute. Two hands up all the way. If you didn't wear deodorant, hands down. But if you did wear deodorant, hands up. All the way. Just hold them up with me for a while here. Because whenever Moses lowered his hands, the Amalekites started winning. Now that doesn't make any sense. They were doing what they could. Hands up. Come on, people. You can do this. It's been 25 seconds. I have a clock. I know how long it's been. This doesn't make any sense. Joshua was doing, using the skills that God had given him. Moses had, he's being obedient by saying, God, it's only by your power that this is going to happen, even though we're responding. And then every time that lactic, you know, you know what starts happening when, when your muscles stay in one space? You get lactic acid that starts to build up. And then you begin to feel a burning sensation in those muscles. Anybody feeling that right now? Yeah, I see those, those arms going, you've been a minute. <laughs> and you're feeling the burning going on, right? And Moses wasn't going to be able to win the battle that day unless his arms stayed in the air. And you put your arms down because you're like, oh, thank you. Look at verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it underneath him and he sat on it. And then Aaron and her, his friends, his close inner circle, one on one side, one on the other, or they held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other. So his hands remained steady, catch this, until sunset. You all didn't make a minute. (laughs) Sunset. Is there a current battle in your life? Right now you're saying life is not working out and you have submitted it to God in prayer. And you are doing absolutely everything you can. But the linchpin to success is not in anything you can do, and it's not even waiting for God to respond. It is you need a team around you that needs to be your support in the midst of this. Some people live their life, and some people live their faith lives way too independently. And God never designed our lives to be this way. Look at Galatians 6 and 2. Here's Paul's instruction to us as a church carry each other's burdens. It's in this way that you fulfill the law of Christ. When we walk together, when we, when we live together, holding on to each other in the difficult times, we fulfill the law of Christ. And you know, each of us has a point which we stop being vulnerable and stop asking for help. We, we, we put up a wall and we say, I will not share this struggle with somebody else. If I need help building a deck, yeah, you can come on over and build a deck. If it's painting the basement, if it's learning how to cook a meal, if it's learning a skill, I can say I'm not able to do that, and we're able with that level, uh, we're okay with that level of vulnerability. But then we get to a point where we say, I'm not telling anyone about this struggle that I'm having. 
I can't tell you about the health piece that's going on. I can't tell you about what's happening at my job. I can't tell you about my mental health. I can't tell you about my addiction. I can't tell you about how I've really failed in my spiritual walk. And we put up a wall. And we say, I'm going to fight this on. God, God is able. He's going to do the battle. I have responded in faith. I'm going to do it. And Moses and the Israelites would have lost that day if Moses said, I'm doing this on my own and my God is able. The only way that they had victory that day is because they looked to Aaron and her and said, I can't do this. I need you to be in the battle with me. You know, we have designed our church this way to live in small group connection because because Jesus set up our lives and our church to live this way, to carry each other's burden. And next Sunday, we're actually going to do a study on relationships and what happens when we have healthy relationships and how they can empathize with us and how they can challenge us and how they can say things to us that nobody else can. You won't want to miss next Sunday. But if you're not connected in multiple life-giving relationships where you share in struggles together, you will never experience a full well-rounded spiritual life that God designed for you, and there may be battles that you may never be able to win until you bring somebody else onto your team. We are not designed to be individualistic nomads. We're designed to share life with. We have a a small group we've been journeying with for a couple years, and the host of our small group asked me this this year. He said, Rick, when you come to this, you're one of the pastors of of this church. Can you just be Rick when you come here? Because if you can't, then you shouldn't be in this group. It's not fair to you or this group if you just can't be Rick. Wow, (laughs) that's not a good way to grow a small group, buddy. (laughs) No, he's right. If I can't come and say, guys, here's where, if I don't have a space that I can say, I need you, I'm struggling here. If, if, If I have to put up a wall, then I'm creating other people put up a wall saying it's not space to share. And I'm so thankful that I have a group that I can be that closely connected with and we carry each other's journeys together through our spiritual days through our what's happening in our family's lives what's happening in our work life. i love that we can be that but that takes work and that takes risk and some of us here this morning aren't willing to risk being vulnerable with somebody else but let me ask you this is somebody truly supporting you Is somebody truly walking through a challenge with you? Is somebody who's able to share in your joys and your sadness, is that worth you moving past your line of what's comfortable and vulnerability? That day the battle was won because Moses said, guys, come around me. I can't do this. You're going to do it. Some of us need to recognize our situation will only happen when we open uh, open up ourselves and our lives to somebody else. Okay, our last one this morning. We need to keep a record of remembrance. And if the God of heaven and earth who created the world and he created you and he created me and he created everything in the world, if he took the time to come and intersect your life, say something to you, do something for you. Don't you want to remember that? <laughs> don't, you, don't you want to be able to look back at that and say, wow, that's what, that's what God did for me. That's what, God, that's what God said to me. 
And the, the Israelites have been struggling for, for weeks on this. And they had, God had done all these miracles in Egypt. He had done the miracle of the Red Sea. He had done the miracle we looked at last week with, with the water. And every time they went right back to that place where they said, God has abandoned us and we don't know what he's going to do for us because they couldn't, they couldn't remember it. <laughs> so verse 14a, here's what the Lord said to Moses. When you're in the midst of trial and when, when, when all these things are happening simultaneously, Write this down on the scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because the battle was won that day in their lives because everything was happening in, 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 uh, in, in partnership together. And God wanted them to remember it so they could look back. Every important thing in our lives, we make a list and we write it down. You have a list of chores on your fridge because you think those things are important to make sure that the dishwasher gets emptied and the, laun- and the laundry's done. You have a list on your breaker panel so that when your hairdryer trips the breaker, you don't have to go down in the dark and fiddle with, where's the one that I do? You, you have the list. You have a constant list on your phone that is buzzing every day saying, leave in 25 minutes for your meeting and it's your great aunt's birthday next week. You've got a list because you think those things are important. Yet so few of us take time to make a list of the ways that God has been faithful in our lives. To take time to write down what God is speaking to us and what God is doing for us. And if the God of heaven and earth took time to speak to you, Write it down. If God did something so impactful in your life, keep a journal of it. What is the last amazing thing that God has done for you? The last time that God did something so unbelievable, you're like, this is unmistakably God did this for me, or God said this to me. And if you can't come up with an answer, then one of two things has to be true. Either God is not involved in your life, Or you've forgotten to give God credit and slipped your mind and you've taken credit or you've passed it off. When God speaks, we got, we got to write it down so that next week when we face the challenge again, we can go back and say, here's what God said to me when I was studying the word. Here's what God did for me when I faced this last time. Here's what God said to me through a member of my team, my small group, when they were going through this. And as a church, we have this practice. We call them life journals. Some of you, are, you do it daily all the time. Some of you have never even heard about this. It's, it's what we, we go through the reading the Bible in the course of one year. We say, here's a, here's a pathway. You can read two or three chapters every day, and we want you to do this. Write down a scripture. There is an acronym, S-O-A-P. Write down a scripture. Write down your observations, O, about it. Write down how it applies to you and then write down a prayer. And we don't do it so that you can have another checklist and you can feel guilty about missing a day. You know why we do it? Because God is doing something in your life. God is active. God is speaking to you. And we forget about it all the time because we don't write it down and we don't have a place we can go back and look to it because we're people (laughs) and we're distracted. And so this morning, we're not going to have Dwayne and the team come back out. Carrie's just come back out. And so here's what I want us to do. I'm going to give you some time and space just to write down, what is God saying to you this morning? It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It could be one of those scriptures that we looked at that spoke to you. 
it could be a whole paragraph and you're going to go home and have to finish this up but we meet together so that we can get better at our faith lives so we want to take the time and space this morning and write down whether it's about a response you need to take whether it's about an act of faith you need to take a stand and believe as you work god will do it whether it's just about you being open to having somebody else be your support the holy spirit will speak to you we're going to give you a couple minutes here what is the holy spirit saying to you write it down amazing that God speaks when you give him that space he spoke something just taking two minutes speaking to my heart I'm not going to share it with you I'm going to share it with my small group on (laughs) on Friday (laughs) but whatever God spoke to you this morning take it take it home meditate on it share it with who you need to share it with keep it inside for what you need to I, I don't know let's just believe that God has called us to respond and he's called us to have faith and he's called us to do it together and that we will write these down so that parenting becomes easier, so that passing the lessons down to the next generation becomes easier, so that living out God's truth in this world becomes easier because we have a record of all the amazing things that God is doing. I want to pray for you.
Lord, I thank you for this opportunity this morning just to still our hearts and our minds because you spoke truth to people. And I pray in Jesus' name that there are miracles that were done and are happening right now, Lord. People that walked in here nervous about a situation in their life, a thing they're going to have to face as they left this place. In Jesus' name, I pray peace and confidence and comfort that you have made a way for them, Lord. You have not forgotten about them. There are people around them that are supporting them. You're giving them the skills that they need, and you will come through as we respond in faith, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I pray you give us the confidence to know the words that we heard, the thought that we had, the feeling that came through us, Lord. That was your spirit. And help us to look back on that day by day. Not let it be a Sunday morning experience, but let it be something that is life-giving. Your word is life to us, Lord. So help us to walk it out that way. We ask this in Jesus' name.